Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. This is your host, Jessica Van, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group. And today I am joined by Jenna Miller. Welcome, Jenna. Hi, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. It is a distinct pleasure to connect with you. And I guess I should say reconnect because I do remember interacting with you um, when you were at Optimizely many years ago. Yes, I think we we reached out on many occasions. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's great to have another opportunity to to reconnect and reunite. Um, for those who don't know, Jenna became the chief of staff at BetterWorks in December of 2020. For those of you who aren't familiar with BetterWorks and what they do, they are a performance enablement solution that basically closes the loop between people, strategy, and results through their cutting edge technology. Um, As we mentioned, prior to um, her chief of staff role, Jenna was an executive assistant to the chairman and CEO of BetterWorks. But as we mentioned before that, she was actually at Optimizely, where she and I originally met, um, where she held an executive assistant position um, there and also held an EA position at a company called BusinessWire. She's dabbled in things like marketing, recruiting, and fundraising throughout her career. Um, As you may have already suspected, based upon her current title of Chief of Staff, Jenna is here today to discuss with us her viewpoint on the Chief of Staff role, a topic that we've decided to spend a fair amount of time focusing on uh, in our program because, again, we, we really feel like it's something that is, one, very relevant and very much on the tip of people's tongues these days but also because it's so nuanced and can really take and kind of shape shift um, the way that it functions within different organizations. So um, many of our listeners have already listened to Julia Quijano, who also spoke with us on this subject. And um, today we're super excited to get Jenna's thoughts and perspective on what the chief of staff role means to her. So again, welcome and thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks so much. So to get us started, can you share with us what your definition is of a chief of staff and also, you know, why you think it's become kind of this romanticized, glamorized position? Sure. So in my mind, a chief of staff is really someone who serves as an executive leader in their own right, Uh, whether it's in the day-to-day management of business or operations of an organization, but really serving as an extension of the CEO uh, or someone else in the C-suite, really enabling those folks to be more effective and efficient. As far as why it's become glamorized and sought after, I think it's fair to say that executive assistants are Jackson Jills of all trades. They're people who want to make a huge impact 
across an organization and within their own role. Uh, for me, I think it's served as a way to move beyond assisting executives and really enabling them while also elevating the entire organization as a whole. So it's a highly dynamic role. It's versatile. It suits a wide range of people who have you know, varied backgrounds and experiences. So I think it can be appealing to people who have sort of those less traditional career arcs, um, which I count myself among those folks. So I think that you can be an executive assistant and transition into a chief of staff role. It may be a little more difficult if you haven't had the exposure to additional functions outside mm. of being an executive assistant. Does that make sense? Yes, that does make sense, actually. And and I think, you know, as we referenced in, in the introduction, you you are someone who does have um, some vari- some variety to what you've done and what you've touched throughout your career. So that that certainly makes sense. It sounds like it's almost a way to kind of pull together all the different strands that somebody might have um, had exposure to throughout their throughout their career trajectory. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I would say the sim- something similar was true for Julia, who who also spoke to us on this topic, and that she also, you know, had had done some varying things in her career um, that were not necessarily quote unquote, like conventional or um, typical in an EA path. So that's an interesting thread that is, is common between both of you. You recently commented on social media, um, you were congratulating someone who had um, recently taken on the role of chief of staff as well. Um, and you said to her, you know, something along the lines of becoming a chief of staff has been one of the most challenging and also rewarding roles of your career. And you said, I know you're going to adore every second of it. Let's compare notes. Um, I'd, lo- <laughs> I'd love to hear more about that. Can you tell us about this evolution that you went through um, of going from an executive assistant to a chief of staff um, and kind of how that, how that evolved? Sure. I, I think it's fair to say that I, I had my sights set on a chief of staff title and role even before I started at BetterWorks. I think it was a role that was kind of sort of, we were seeing it more and more. I mean, you in the recruiting field kind of know, um, you know, you see that role pop up more and more often in searches and, uh, you know, on Indeed or LinkedIn or on a site like yours. Um, So I think it's something that I always had my sights set on. It was a conversation that I had with my my current CEO before I started, and he was really open to it. And so I think that that played into it, obviously. Um, so I, I would say that I was sort of doing the job that I wanted to have before I actually held the title. Mm. So that that was all made possible by working for sort of a smaller SaaS software as a service organization. So we're about 125 people. So I think, as you know, folks that are in that, I don't know if I would call us a startup, but we'll say startup-like environment, you always wear a lot of hats. You fill gaps when necessary. Uh, I was really fortunate that I bonded with my CEO right away when I was hired and we built trust really quickly. So he sort of set me free to work on a lot of different projects from the beginning. Um, whether that was managing our facilities program or um, working with our legal and finance team, you know, helping to um, run our board meetings, things like that. So, you know, I think 
it was all hands on deck when COVID hit. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll bring that into the mix. And we all had to kind of change the way that we were working and, you know, things like work and home life got blended. Um, and it was a really interesting supporting our employees through that uh, process. And I had to step up in a lot of ways. And I think he saw that and we, we decided to make it official uh, in December. And so when you originally interviewed for your position, um, as you mentioned, you started off as, as executive assistant to CEO. Did you kind of have this role as an archetype of, of what you wanted to aspire to? And, and did, you, did you in some way, you know, kind of um, tip, tip your hand and, and let him know that this was ultimately on your, on your radar? Yes, I think he appreciated that honesty. And I think, you know, I really wanted this to be uh, a role where I could grow into something. Uh, and in a 125-person organization, there's not a ton of, uh, you know, wiggle room for for advancement. Just, you know, we're, we're capped at a, at a certain, sure. um, you know, there's just some certain limits. But I did let him know that that was, that was uh my, my goal. And I think he appreciated that honesty. And he, he did everything that he could to make sure that I, you know, got to, to take on interesting projects and, and make decisions. And I felt really empowered. And that's not maybe typical for a, an EA <laughs> executive relationship, but we went into it kind of eyes wide open and uh, I, it really worked out. I did yeah. tip my hand, but I think it, it worked in my favor. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, clearly, right? And I, I think that there's sometimes there's this tension, right, between in in individuals and employees that that want to kind of you know say what what's on their wish list and, and really kind of where they want to see themselves grow and 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 get to professionally. And then there's also this fear of, well, I don't want to overshoot, and I don't want to scare off, you know, my future employer by coming across as, you know, overly ambitious or not content with the current position being offered, things of that nature. So I think it's it's interesting to to kind of see or learn how you how you navigated that tension. Um, because you clearly like, you know, you set that expectation um, very early on in the relationship. And, you know, clearly, in this case, it worked out well. Um, and I think it was good because you, you signaled to him like, hey, this is, you know, this is how I want to be entrusted ultimately. I think the the key there is not um I didn't stop being his EA at any point and start becoming a chief of staff and I, we can kind of get into that a little bit later um because I know you have some some different questions but I I take my, the role of executive assistant really seriously and so, you know, supporting him and uh, his calendar and enabling him and um, advising him in some cases was always number one. And so the other projects that I took on were just sort of icing on the cake. And it was, it was you know, just work ethic wise important for me to know that I was there to support him first and foremost. So tell us about your day-to-day -day as chief of staff and what, what do you do all day, Jenna? <laughs> You're not chatting it up on a podcast. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that most chiefs of staff, regardless of what your definition of that role is, by nature is pretty wide and varied in, in terms of the day-to-day. With the help of our product, which at its core is essentially OKR software, objectives and key results, 
you know, I set goals for myself just like anyone else would. Um, they range from like specific uh, facilities function duties to more like culture carrier initiatives. Uh, right now, I'm working with our DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion team to help bring some training into or our organization for our employees. Uh, I facilitate a cross-functional group called BLAST, which is Better Works Leadership and Strategy Team. And our main initiative for the next six months is to identify and implement a better solution for our internal wiki. So I think, you know, it, it really is uh, pretty varied day to day. Uh, I, I take a lot of my EA knowledge and skills and um, habits into this role with me, which I think serves me really well. So I keep a really tight calendar. Um, you know, I wake up every morning, I check and see what's on the docket for that day. Uh, I'm a mom now. And so I have to work all of those various things of getting my daughter ready in the morning into the mix. And, um, you know, I'm meeting with, with, various people across our organization working on various different projects. Right now we're prepping for a board meeting. Um, I'm hiring a new office manager for our New York City office. So I'm building out her onboarding documents. I like some of the discipline that you that you referenced. I mean some some of the habits rather that mm -hmm. and the discipline that comes with being an EA first and foremost um, and and having transitioned to, into this role vis-a-vis -vis that role. I think that, you know, as you mentioned, like there's a certain discipline that comes with that um, and adherence to time management and being really good about time blocking and project managing and um, deadlines and, you know, just like being really mindful of those types of things. Um, I think that's a really good kind of um, takeaway or soundbite for those that might be looking to transition into something like this. I have a saying that once an EA, always an EA. So I feel like it 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 invades the rest of your life for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just a way of it's a way of living. It becomes sort of second nature to you. And I approach most things, even in my personal life, that way. Whether it's planning a vacation or, um, you know, blocking time to spend with my daughter or what you know, whatever it is, I think. Most of your listeners will probably know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, totally. So how does the role of chief of staff differ from what you did as an EA or even what you thought about as an EA? Like how has your thinking had to evolve and change? And I guess on a similar note, like what have you found to be the challenges and rewards of each of these different roles? Sure. So I think as an EA, your main focus is always your executive. Uh, so in that case, my CEO or anyone else I was supporting. When I started supporting an executive as an EA, which was back at Optimizely, the way that she pitched me the role appealed to the event and fundraiser gala planning part of me. And she described it about as producing her in her day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week work. And I liked the thought of that. So she was my customer and I was optimizing her time and taking a really strategic approach to setting her meetings and offering my perspective on anything when she approached me. I think as a chief of staff, I definitely think of my customer, so to speak, as the entire company as well as each employee and everything in between, even like our own customers, our vendors, our partners, our board of directors. 
I sort of serve them all in various ways at different times and different capacities. It's kind of like having <laughs> a more granular view um, versus having a, a more big picture view on the whole organization. Like, you know, like it's just like it's a priority shift, right? Like, Absolutely. Like you said, yes. your client is the whole company versus your client, so to speak, being your executive. Yes, exactly. I think the most challenging part of being an EA sometimes was feeling or actually being underestimated. Mm. Uh, I'm definitely more on the vocal side of things. <laughs> like I speak up, I feel like I have an interest in business. I'm very strategy minded. Um, but I also as an EA never wanted to overstep because I think being an executive assistant and supporting folks at the top um, or anyone in management is sort of a delicate dance. And so I had some limiting beliefs of my own, but also I think, you know, there's the relationship comes first and foremost, and it's so intimate and so much of a partnership that I really did. It was almost, I almost revered it, you know? Um, and I think as chief of staff, my biggest challenge now is just not being able to have time to solve everything. <laughs> I have to let things go, um, or I have to wait on certain initiatives. I have to pretty fiercely prioritize and figure out what I think will have the biggest impact on the organization and our overall success as a company. And then I tackle that first. So, you know, as, as an EA, you're not used to saying no, you're just a yes person all the time. You want to, you know, please your boss, you want to uh, be helpful. Um, and so I have a really hard time saying no. And I think that that bleeds over into the chief of staff role where I'm having to be more strategic um, and just really, really figure out prioritization. And I lean on other people for that. I lean on my CEO. I lean on other leaders in our organization to help me do that because I'm, it's not in my nature to, to want to let anything go. I'm curious, Jenna, like you mentioned, um, you know, as an EA, one of the challenges that you encountered was feeling like you were sort of um, under people underestimated you. Mm -hmm. um, have you found it difficult at all to evolve from an EA to a chief of staff within the same organization for that reason, right? Because maybe people are, are, are looking at you and saying, oh, well, you were our executive assistant and now you're our chief of staff. Like, has there been any, any, any challenge or resistance to receiving you and, um, and I guess honoring um, you in this new capacity? I think there was potential for that. <laughs> I am really very fortunate that every single person in our organization, you know, really celebrated that win for me and it made total sense to people. I think in this role as as my current CEO's EA before, I was doing so much more because it is a smaller organization. I think if I had to guess, that might have been harder at other larger organizations mm -hmm. where I was in more of like a traditional EA capacity. But I think because I serve here at Better Works and I served for so long as, as Doug's right hand, but also supporting sort of the rest of our leadership team and, and wearing many hats, it wasn't, so, it wasn't a stretch for people or me. Um, but I mean, have I encountered that here? No, but have I encountered it at other places? Definitely. 
Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, and that makes sense, right? That it would be really like really culturally specific um, to the company you work in. And also like, you know, probably pretty leadership specific. I mean, it's really also how does your CEO enable you? How do they position you? How do they support you or not? You know, I think that matters a lot. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, I've been working with my CEO for a while now, almost two years. And like I said, we built trust and a partnership sort of right off the bat. I don't think that that's, I don't think it's uncommon. I mean, I can't really speak (laughs) overall, but I think um, in my experience, approaching the EA role as a partnership makes a lot of sense to me. Um, And so the leap to chief of staff doesn't feel like such a big one, but I do see how folks that might be in a more, um, you know, assistant executive, maybe power dynamic might have trouble shifting that within an organization. And you may have to sort of move around to move up, I guess, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. So you touched on this a little bit, but maybe to dig in a little bit deeper, Um, Mm -hmm. in your opinion, you know, in what ways is an executive assistant already well-equipped to step into the role of a chief of staff? And are there any gaps, you know, I guess on the on the flip side, are there any gaps that an EA should, you know, consciously try to work on if they're interested in transitioning? Sure. So I, as an EA, I think of executive assistants of ha- as having really sharp communication skills, very detail-oriented, really adept at problem-solving, someone who has really high standards of integrity, discretion, confidentiality for any, you know, situation that they may need to handle with their executive. So those are all really actually very important skills when thinking about stepping into a chief of staff role as well. I think for me, uh, a couple of skills that might be more (laughs) what I call like sleeper skills are things like curiosity and uh, tenacity. So I feel like people don't talk about that enough. You have to ask a lot of questions and really dig like you are now, like pro far beyond the surface. And I think that might be where some EAs start to feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I guess I would say that I'd encourage anyone looking to transition into a chief of staff role to really lean into that, like ask questions, find ways to make yourself uncomfortable and uh, really stretch yourself beyond what you think you might be capable of or where you thought, where you think those maybe like imaginary EA boundaries might be. And I mean, that, that could include having a conversation with your executive and, and sort of setting the tone. So you're not just like all of a sudden asking really detailed business questions or, you know, probing where, where you maybe weren't sort of allowed to probe before. Yep. Um, but I think like being open with your executive that you're, you have interests beyond maybe what your current duties are. The way that I positioned that with my former CEO or sorry, CHRO at Optimizely was just having a, like a curiosity about the business. And she was really open to just teaching me, you know, like how customer success works or, you know, why it and, and, facilities do things this way or, you know, go spend some time with our product leader and really figure out, you know, what's a Kanban board, like things like that. I mean, it's just 
learning all of those things, it takes time. And unless you get really curious and start to ask questions, you you won't have built the the business acumen that you need um, in order to step into a chief of staff role. So if you could go to school, so to speak, or or train to become a chief of staff, what do you think the the core principles of that curriculum would would be? I think you would laugh if you saw so I, I did receive some of these questions ahead of time, and and this was one that I I gave a lot of thought to. Okay. I think you would laugh if you saw what I actually wrote down for this because I I wrote diplomacy in all caps and had like exclamation points yeah. all over it. Mm-hmm. I think diplomacy is is key because as a chief of staff, you're sort of straddling the line between executive leadership and the rest of the company. So I want to be able to dive deep with any manager or individual contributor, but then I also have to raise my gaze and be able to represent whatever that idea is or have a point of view at the executive level. So it does require a lot of diplomacy. I think, you know, we talked about curiosity. I would love to... (laughs) I would teach a class in curiosity. Mm. <laughs> I think that that would mm-hmm. be so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, along with diplomacy, I think, you know, negotiation, obviously having a grasp on the strategic planning process, whatever that looks like for your company or the type of industry that you're in. As an EA, I remember supporting a lot of strategic planning sessions. And I really tried to pay attention while I was taking notes for the executives that were in that room and asking follow-up questions afterwards or making sort of notes in the margin if I was writing things down or, or side notes in a notebook while I was typing notes up. Um, so just taking those opportunities. It's like you're in the room already, you know, pay attention and and start to get curious about about what things mean. Um, and I think I said before, just develop as much business acumen as you can for your industry, like work with your CFO, your product officer, your revenue officer, any C-suite person who will make time for you. Um, or, you know, even another level down VPs, directors, managers, um, just learn about all the different functions and business units. But also like to not be inappropriate. And maybe that goes back to the mm-hmm. diplomacy thing. Like there's also a tact element to the questioning but, Absolutely. Right? So it's like a balance yeah. of diplomacy and curiosity. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you kind of have to have a, a master's in timing. <laughs> right? I mean, you don't want to approach somebody <laughs> when they're like on a deadline or at the end of your quarter, like ask your sales leader, to just like, let's have a coffee. You know, I mean, you, yeah. you have to sort of time it right. Yeah. Um, but I think if you, as an EA, those opportunities would sort of present themselves to me. And I just had to get over my self and my fear and just go for it. You know, I think now it's maybe a little harder because we're all working somewhat remotely still, or maybe in a hybrid way. So the, the water cooler or the cafeteria conversations aren't as, um, you know, those opportunities aren't there as much. Um, so I think, you know, I think for me, it would be a challenge in this time, right? You can't just go and tap somebody on the shoulder if you're, if you're, if you're in a company that's still working, you know, primarily remotely. So if there's anything that you wish you would have known um, going into this position 
what would that be? And, you know, are there, are there certain questions that you would encourage our EA listeners to think through as they reflect on whether this is a path that they want to pursue? I view myself as an extension of our leadership team, you know, most times, sometimes serving like even as a proxy for our CEO in certain meetings. And that can feel a little bit isolating and lonely at times. So the proximity to power, as I'll call it, um, people sort of view you in a different way. And, you know, because you have that increased responsibility, people have this perception that you that you have more power, whether it's sort of real or not. I don't view myself that way, but I, I suppose that in a room, others might be thinking to themselves, I'm going to watch what I have to say because I might not want this to get back to the leadership team. So I just, I really have to be intentional about staying in touch and building relationships across the organizations, whether it's having one-on-ones or sort of ad hoc meetings with managers or individual contributors in the company to keep my finger on the pulse, but also to let them know that, you know, I, I still value discretion and anybody that needs, that wants to bring something to me, you know, whether it's um, feedback or um, an issue or, you know, whether maybe it's a culture issue or whatever it is, just staying in those conversations from a place of reality versus having that view from the top, I guess, that, that mm-hmm. executives can tend to get. Um, we call it the distorted view from the top when you spend so much time with the same people in the room who actually are at the top. So as you can imagine, like sitting in executive meetings where everyone has a C in their title, mm-hmm. including me now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it You can get a little bit of a distorted view of reality. And so I have to make a conscious effort to, um, I guess, check myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be like Marie Antoinette, just like yeah. <laughs> totally, totally out of touch. Like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, you know, as an EA, you, you, you have to like figure out what your relationships are with people in the rest of the company, especially if you're supporting the CEO, but really any C-suite executive that's, um, you definitely are like privy to more, you know, confidential information. And so you, you kind of get some practice at that, but I guess I didn't realize um, like the, how that would shift when I became chief of staff. Mm. And so I really try to leverage it in a positive way and encourage people to, um, you know, come to me with, with issues or feedback that I can either anonymously deliver or help them um, ideate on solutions so that we're not just coming to the executive team with a problem, but we're also saying like, here's how we can address it. Right. I mean, do you think that you work, do you think your, your work has become more difficult? Do you feel more, um, I mean, you mentioned it's challenging. Do you feel in some ways like your role has become more difficult or more draining or more um, intense? You know, I'm just like, and the reason I'm asking this is because if somebody is kind of on on the cusp of like, do I want this life? Do I not want this life? Is this for me? Is this not for me? 
you know, when I hear the word, it's become, it's definitely challenging. It makes me also think to myself, if I'm somebody that's pursuing this path, am I really ready to um, own some of the sacrifices that, that may, that may also be part of this transition, you know? I would say that it's definitely harder. As an EA, you can kind of slip into a place of comfort with your executive where things, you know, there's like this second hand and you're in a groove and things become second nature. And I like, that's a great feeling. And that's like a great place to be. And I remember that feeling of being like in lockstep with someone and just anticipating their needs and knowing things before they even think them. And, you know, it's such a like empowering feeling to um, get to that place with your executive. And I miss that sometimes because I do feel like I am, you know, I'm definitely asking more questions and it's almost like chess where you have to sort of think ahead of, of the moves and anticipate. And I I know it doesn't seem possible if you're an EA that has a really fantastic relationship with your executive, but I'm, I feel like now I'm privy to even more confidential and (laughs) difficult information. And so just dealing with that, alone or maybe only having one or two more people in the organization that that know those things and are are working on those things can be isolating and it is harder and the mental load is more and i i guess i can't really speak to whether part of that is covid related and hmm. just like the isolation that we feel right now as a, as humans in this country hmm. um which could be part of it right mm-hmm. but i think Regardless, it is um, more of a tax, I think. And I I thoroughly enjoy it. And I like that it's challenging. Um, but it is hard. And I think somebody that's thinking about that as a next step might have to ask themselves, like, am I just looking for growth in general? And this is the sort of perceived next step? Or am I really passionate about the actual role of a chief of staff and am I ready to take that on? We talked about limiting beliefs earlier and Mm -hmm. I think EAs can sometimes think like, am I just going to be an EA or should I go for something bigger? Um, But I, I think I know and hopefully all EAs out there know that like EAs have a tremendous impact and being an EA is a huge job in its own right. And a chief of staff is just a different role. And it may not be the quote unquote next step for an EA. But I also think that there's such a thing as incorporating chief of staff level kind of thinking um, into how you perform and operate as an EA that I think can also only serve to enhance and deepen um, how you execute in your role and just kind of how you immerse yourself in really supporting that, that individual executive organization, whatever the case may be. So I think it's, it's kind of both. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can totally see the mental load, like that being very real. And it's, to me, it's like, you know, it's kind of like a little bit, you know, when you become a business owner versus when you work for somebody else, it's like, there's certain problems that you just don't get to pass off anymore. And, um, it's kind of like, you can't really pass the buck. And, 
um, I think that that's, there's definitely an intensity that comes with that and a, a, a gravitas and a responsibility. It feels like a burden at the time, but when you come out the other side of something like that, it can be really empowering. And I guess for me, it has that similar feeling to when you you get in that lockstep moment with your executive. So I think the the payoff is still there, and so I would I would encourage anyone who's thinking about that role to, you know, obviously give it a lot of thought. But it's it's for sure just as rewarding to me as it was to be an EA. I think the wins are not as quick, maybe. Mm. Um, but there's certainly, I mean, there's certainly aspects of being an AA that are that are incredibly difficult and burdensome too. So I think it's just different problems and different players. Well said. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So as we conclude our, our conversation here, Jenna, I'm curious, uh, I have a final question, which is, you know, the one that we ask of everyone, which is if you could support anyone throughout the course of history, who would you choose to support and why? I'm going to say Melody Hobson. She is the, she is a president and CEO or co-CEO of an investment firm. Um, She most recently got appointed to the board of directors at Starbucks, but she's also married to George Lucas. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. And she is a mom to a young daughter. She's, you know, super busy, dynamic, super involved in charity work. Um, and I love that she, in every interview that she gives, she touches on the importance of diversity, inclusion, belonging, all of that. So I just love her, her viewpoint. She just, I I don't know. She, it's always hard, like seeing someone from the outside, you think they have it so together, but she, she actually is someone in a leadership position in a quite prominent, like she's like sort of famous, right? I mean, she's married to George Lucas, but she always gives a nod to her team. And she talks about her chief of staff and she talks about her assistant and her house manager and the people that support her and how she can't do what she does without them. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it would be really interesting to be a part of a team. I mean, it really does feel like a team that she runs. Well, this has been so lovely. I really like uh, a number of the the points that you shared as far as, you know, kind of untangling um, what this role looks like and, and what it's meant for you. And I think you, you left our listeners with some really good insight on kind of the key things that they can expect, um, but also like key things that they can think about working on or developing within themselves Um as they contemplate this. Right. Um, so I, I really love your perspective on this. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of today. Thank you so much, Jessica. I had a lot of fun. You were absolutely right when you said it's like having coffee with a friend. So right? I really appreciate the oh. opportunity. Yeah. This has been amazing. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.